Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're going to be talking about tiling rented ground, and my brother Brian is not here today. Can you believe it? We're talking tiling, and Brian's not even going to be a part of that. It's amazing. So we've got Rob Fritz, our friend and agronomist, on with us. Uh, Rob, you've certainly helped a lot of guys tile some rented ground, so I'm sure you'll have uh, some good thoughts on this today. Yeah, I'm actually completely surprised that this topic is missing Brian because uh, <laughs> well, it, it's good because uh, it'll give give some other people a chance to talk too. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's I tell you what, of the conversations I've had, uh, just actually today with a guy is he is literally not going to rent a piece. He's already rejected it for next year's rent based on the fact that it wasn't tiled and. The funny thing is, is he's like, well, they claim they're going to try to get it tiled by spring. He says they're never going to get it done. He already told them that he's not renting it again because it was, uh, you know, 50 bushel less than any oh, other wow. farm he had. And, you know, so this is a daily conversation um, in this part of the, you know, country right now. Yeah, and you think about those 50 bushels. So let's just say uh, the rest of his farm's 200 and that field that's not tiled is 150, so it's 50 bushels off. He still has the same equipment expense driving across those acres, and he still has the same seed expense. And, I mean, all those things are in place. And, yeah, you may use just a little bit less fertility out there if you're going for 150 versus 200, but but still, I mean, that, that extra 50 is pretty much all gravy at the end of the year. Well, and it, the, the thing is, is, you said all that, but he was aiming for the same 220 bushel yield goal on every acre because you never want to just openly go out in front and say, uh, you know, I'm going to aim for less. Well, and if it wouldn't have been a wet year, he it maybe could have got it. Yeah. That's, that's true. That's yeah. true. And, and honestly, you know, when we look at the ground here, and I've always been from the beginning on this tile conversation is, is I think. Uh, you know, we're looking at oxygen management here, and it's really about keeping roots alive and keeping plants alive. And I know we've been hearing more of that side of the story come forward. Um, and, you know, to me, that's very a very good place to go when we're talking to people who aren't necessarily involved in the farming industry. Well, I had an interesting uh, conversation this morning. So we've got a really deep um lift station we've got a you know it goes way down in the ground uh with a storage vessel or basically like a big sump and it's it's impacting our neighbor who's nearest the sump pump who has always had issues with water getting into his sump area in his basement so his sump pump's always running well guess what our sump is much deeper out in the field and that's relieved the pressure on his basement as well and you think about that with with your home that you live in, chances are if you've got a basement, you've got a sump down there and you've got a sump pump. Hopefully it doesn't run too often for you, but if it does, all that's happening is your tile lines around the foundation of your house. Well, the water level, the water table is getting up too high and it's going to start coming into your basement so that sump keeps your basement dry. And what it's doing with that that water table as it comes up, how does water come up? Well, it fills in all the air space in the soil. Like Rob was talking about, this is an oxygen management 
decision that we're making when we're looking at drainage on farms. And we saw it this year over so many fields, and I'm betting you probably had the same observations, Rob, flying over fields and also at harvest time just watching yield monitors when he got over those tile lines. Wow. It was it probably was 50 bushel difference. Easy. Yeah. and it, Well, and you would think that, um, you know, that – that that water guys you know they have a concept of how the water flows to the tile line it's literally uh kind of a parabolic curve is what they show and you drop that water table right near the tile line but what we saw with our yield monitors was it wasn't a real wide strip on some of these heavy soils that we actually were really able to affect the crop i mean you'd literally be 10 to 15 foot wide just over the top of the tile and in between it would it would be very damaged by the, the high water line. So when you have soils that don't drain terribly well, they're very tight. It, it, you know there's a lot of these factors that become uh, compounding. Like around your house, you're just affecting what's inside your house and you have this container you're trying to keep the water out. in the, in the field, we're talking you know every inch and it's, you know, most guys have tile, but they don't have enough for years like right, this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why we were able to see those pattern tiled yep. fields. We could see where the tiles were in the air because they weren't close enough. Right. And so, for a lot of farmers, it's it's interesting as you look at that soil and what its what its drainage properties are. Uh, we were just looking at a piece of my ground today, and it needs tile every 25 feet. <laughs> I don't want to pay that bill. It's going to be kind of expensive. But when you look at, at how much yield you're losing year after year after year, uh, you know, it's a field that I hope that I own the rest of my life. And if I do, yeah, you look at how much yield am I going to gain over the next 30 or 40 years? Well, quite a bit. So yeah, yeah. it's it's one of those decisions. The other thing is just how difficult farming is when you're getting stuck, and uh, I, I know if you're if you're um, in a situation where you've got some wet fields this year, you definitely know what I'm talking about. I, I can't tell you how many people I saw stuck and having to get pulled out this year, or just pulled all the way through the field just to get harvesting done. Uh, if you were in in that situation, yeah, drainage tile could be a real help for you. Well, and and here's the th- the part about what you said: you have oversaturated soils, you have compaction from that. Every pass you make packs the ground because the ground is oversaturated. Then that's something you have to deal with the next year and the next year and the next year. What we see is guys put in tile and it starts the process, but it takes seven years to heal. We always tell guys it's five to seven years to heal that ground because all that time it was overly saturated. You pack it, it has a hard time, you know, with movement of of fertilizer, or I should say nitrates going through it, sulfates. You know, your calcium and magnesium ratios all become an issue. So there's just a whole lot of things that tile can do. All right, we're going to talk about tiling rented ground, though, and it's a little different discussion than on ground you own. We'll also take your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic pesticides from Atticus, LLC. Atticus offers a vast portfolio of branded generic fungicides, herbicides, and insecticides for row crops. Atticus puts grassroots experience and common sense logic to work to make product selection easier and on your terms. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. 
Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. Build with the best. When you choose Morton Buildings for your next farm storage building, you'll experience the Morton Advantage at every step, starting before the walls even go up. Since the value of our buildings is in its ability to protect what you have stored inside, we ensure that every component is researched and tested to withstand the elements in all weather conditions. And we back it up with the strongest warranty in the business. Looks better. Built stronger. Lasts longer. Learn more at MortonBuildings.com. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. It, one question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Clean fields and higher yields start with a strong battle plan. For soybean growers, there's no stronger ally than Sonic Herbicide. When applied pre-emerge, Sonic has proven to defeat yield robbers like water hemp, mare's tail, and giant ragweed. With long-lasting residual control, it keeps fighting to defend your field from invaders. Visit BattleWeeds.com to plan your attack against weeds. Always read and follow label directions. Sir, yes, sir! Mac, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Uh, I was just thinking this morning, actually we're working on some tiling projects here that are going to happen next year and uh, just some of the more difficult ones to look at. And like we were talking about to, to begin the show, we're going to talk about tiling rented ground. And uh, this, this happened to be a piece of ground that I own. And I was looking at, okay, how can I get this done and how am I going to make it work? And I started looking at, well, if I had this many extra bushels at this price, I could do this. But what if I could get a little better price? And, you know, I'm right now I'm hopeful that, that we do see some better prices coming up. But um, a lot of stuff going on and a lot of things happening in the market to to consider. So we've got Scott Harms with us right now with, with Grain PhD. Uh, Scott, how are you doing today? Very good, Darren. Good afternoon. All right, so I was talking to a farmer up in North Dakota, and he said he still has soybeans in the field, he still has corn in the field, and he said, but I think the corn's going to stand till March, so we're really hoping it gets cold so we can get the soybeans. And he was asking this question. He said, why is this not having a more positive impact on prices? You tell me, and we'll both know. <laughs> um uh, it's, you know, it's, it's a head scratcher. It's frustrating. Um, you know, I guess the easy answer, and we've talked about this before is the poor demand side of the equation without that side of the equation there to support the market and supply that, um, you know, solid base, um, these adjustments to the acreage side of it and to the yield side of it are just not flat out having the impact they normally would have. Now that can change. Uh, but you're right, uh, there's still a lot of corn uh, yet to be harvested. Uh, USDA told us yesterday 84% of the crop has been harvested versus 96% average. That's 2.2 billion bushels of corn that's still out there in the field, 13 million acres. 
you talk to a guy in North Dakota. I talked to a guy, that's a customer in northern uh, Minnesota. He's got 1,200 acres yet to harvest, and very nervous. And they're, you know, they've got a winter storm moving through there as well. So, I, you know, we're, the crop's certainly not getting bigger. Um, you know, we just are. We don't have the demand side of the equation solid enough to excite the trade. We don't have. You know, we've got some things kind of working against us, a lack of a trade deal. You know, South American weather's not an issue. Currency problems continue to uh, favor, you know, hurt uh, U.S. demand. But hopefully that changes. Uh, we are in the window where exports should start to pick up. We've seen signs of that the last couple of weeks. But uh, no question with a lot of corn and yet to be harvested in soybeans as well. Uh, that's going to have to be taken into account at some point, whether it gets captured in that January production report. Uh, we we don't know. But again, keep in mind that there is no production report, or no update in December. They only update supply and demand numbers. So we'll have to wait for updated numbers. Uh, we'll have to wait for January for that to, to, to hit have an impact. All right. How about seasonal trends, Scott? As we finish out this year, are there some trends that, that farmers should be using as a guide? You know, there there's really... I mean, I was I was looking at that as well, and there really isn't um, anything real trend worthy here in the short term. Now, in in the past, we've seen weakness into the end of uh, the month of November as uh, cash sales hit the market. Usually, typically, Thanksgiving week is actually a positive week, um, but the end of the month is usually under pressure. Well, this week they're and this year they're the same week. So right now the pressure um, of cash sales and basis contracts coming due, uh, that's hitting the week of Thanksgiving. And so I think that's part of the re- reason we're seeing pressure this week. Hopefully that goes away uh, here this week, and then we see a recovery into December. Historically, we've seen some surprise export announcements in the month of December, whether that happens or not. Uh, we don't know. But there isn't a real strong trend in corn, mostly sideways. Uh, soybeans do catch a trend later in the month of December as we get into um, the South American weather. By then, we'll have a little better idea on South American weather, and we either grab a hold of a rally or um, perhaps weakness, uh, depending on weather, the second half of the month. The other trend you look at is what do the funds normally do in the month of December? And and uh, I guess, you know, looking back the last three years, uh, there th- they don't pile on as typically to positions. They don't add two positions at the end of the end of the year. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're um, going to liquidate aggressively. But the trend is either they leave them they leave positions alone, or they liquidate. There have been years where they've aggressively liquidated, and if that's the case, with them short 125,000 contracts of corn over that amount, probably with sales this week. Uh, that could be a positive sign for corn as we work into the month of December. I look for uh, strong cash market and perhaps liquidation by the funds and uh, anticipation of potentially a trade deal. The talk continues to be that they're leaning, they're working that direction to provide some support as you move into the month of December. All right, you mentioned the funds, and and as we're moving into the end of the year here, we hear a lot about fund rebalancing. And can you tell us what that term means and what impact that might have on prices for us? Yeah, largely these are the index funds, uh, the the long-only index funds, and um, they generally own a basket of commodities uh, for their investors. 
and they have X amount of percentage allocated to each commodity. And then based on the performance of that commodity throughout the year, they have to rebalance at the end of the year. So if you've got a higher performing commodity, um, and there haven't been that many this year, but if you have a really high performing commodity, um, then the the portfolio gets balanced too heavily in that direction as the year progresses. And if you have a commodity that's underperforming, unfortunately we've had several of those, corn being one of them, soybeans being one of them, um, then that portfolio gets weighted too un weighted uh, too low in those commodities. So what you see in the rebalancing, it usually happens at the beginning of the year, uh, the first of the year, but you see buying of commodities that underperformed throughout the course of the year. You see selling of commodities that overperformed throughout the course of the year. So then they get their fund based on their syllabus. They get their fund um, um, back in line with um, what they what their overall plan is. Now, um, typically, I could say it begin. It happens a lot of times after the first of the year. But if there is a a strong bias one way or the other is really a commodity that's underperformed. You can tend to see the market anticipate that rebalance. So you might see buying of a particular commodity that's undersold or that's oversold uh, in anticipation of that rebalance. So the other factor I think in play is that th these funds aren't quite as they're they're not as popular as they used to be. There was a, you know back in the 2008, 2009, 2010. You know there was when these things were grabbing hold, they were very very popular. Um, but they've lost their luster in the last couple of years, so there's not as much money at play. So the impact on the on prices and the market, it's not as quite as big as what it used to be. All right, uh, 2019, it's just been frustrating, Scott, uh, as you well know, and uh, lower yields in a lot of areas, negative opinions on prices and what's going on. Uh, what advice have you got for us? Because there's, there's a lot of guys out there with quite a bit to market yet, and, and the market opinion still doesn't seem real great. Yeah, and I, I know it's been frustrating. It's been difficult. I mean, I've been uh, friendly prices for a while and on uh, anticipation of lower yields. Still don't think I'm wrong, but uh, well, time will tell. Um, and uh, but the market just has underperformed, and um, you know it's it's been real difficult. But you know we've all heard the phrase "things are most bearish at the bottom and things are most bullish at the top," and that's a fact. I mean that's what creates markets, and that's what helps to put in lows and put in highs, and. You know, so you get all this negative market opinion out there, and it's it's out there, and you know you got to keep in mind that these people that write market opinion, uh, they're great people, and I've worked with many of them for many many years. Um, they know what they're doing, but they're also trend followers. They like to be right, and so when you see a market that's down, the pot, the the overwhelming opinion is going to be to write negative commentary because that's the path of least resistance. It's easier to be right when the market's going down, just as they do on the when the way the market's going up. When the market's going higher, you know, those are the guys that are out there printing 450 dollars and $5 corn and ginning up all this enthusiasm because they like to be right. So they are trend followers. So you have to kind of separate that a little bit, take that emotion out of it. And, and the easiest way to do that, and I, we talk about marketing as reducing emotion, you know, as a big component is reducing your emotion. And that's easier said than done. But if having a plan... I wouldn't do anything now. I'm a contrarian. I think that we're going to turn things around. But be ready. Have a plan. And then you can step away and don't have to look at the markets on a day-to-day -day basis if you have a plan. Be ready, to, be ready to attack the next bounce. Sounds great. Hey, Scott, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Happy Thanksgiving. We'll be right back with more Ag PhD Radio after this. 
Your independent spirit is more rewarding than ever before. Unlike programs that require growers to purchase a particular seed brand or to bundle certain products, the FMC Freedom Pass program rewards you for making the best choices for your fields. Our exclusive agronomic rewards, performance assurances, application innovations, and product financing make it easier to protect your crops and cash flow. Visit your authorized FMC retailer or fmcfreedompass.com to calculate your potential financial incentive and learn more. White mold and sudden death syndrome are two of the most important fungal diseases in soybean production today. But did you know 40 to 50 million acres in the north central region are affected annually? When every season has different disease challenges, the question becomes how can you ensure the best start for your soybeans no matter what? The answer is Heads Up Seed Treatment. Trusted by growers across the Midwest, Heads Up offers a new mode of action to prime your beans to help fight fungal disease. For more information, visit HeadsUpST.com. Hey, Bill, any advice to control tough weeds and rootworms? That's easy, Jim. Buy two, save three. Wait, for weeds and rootworms? Buy two, save three. Combine your Impact or new Impact Z herbicide purchase with a qualifying insecticide and save $3 per acre. Buy two, save three. That is good advice. For details, go to buy2save3.com. Impact, Impact Z, and buy two, save three are trademarks owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. As your corn crop grows and the ear begins to form, potassium is at a high demand, almost as high as nitrogen. The same is true for soybeans with similar high demands of potassium during pod fill. Don't fall behind and ensure your crop is getting its potassium with Catalyst. Catalyst by Actigrow has been shown to be the best at entering the leaf when compared to other leading potassium products. Visit k-supercharged.com for more information. Every flood begins with a raindrop. Every drought was once a sunny day. Every plague of insects grew from a couple of eggs, and every hurricane from a breeze. Our biggest problems start small, but what if the biggest solutions do too? At Indigo, we're using the natural microbes found on plants that survive droughts to help other plants survive them too. Visit indigoag.com grow to learn more. Indigo, from questions we grow. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio. Today we're talking a little grain markets there, but we want to get right back into tiling rented ground. Now this tiling in general is is a big thing and i guess regardless of if you own the ground or rent the ground you're going to need good equipment to get the job done we've got mitch kaiser with us right now with case ih uh mitch thanks for joining us good, good talking to you darren thanks for having me today you bet busy time of year uh especially if you're involved with the equipment <laughs> i i can't tell you how many guys are out in the field in our area everybody's trying to get things done here before uh the, the blast of winter heads our way. And one of the things that we're trying to get done is some tiling. But I've noticed a few things. I got a couple of off-the-wall questions for you here, so hopefully you're you're up for that. 
that's fine. You bet, Darren. Uh, okay, some of these fields now not as much right around our farm as as it was earlier this year, but in some areas, guys are having to bring another tractor in just to pull equipment along. And I, I wanted to talk just a little bit about safety and any tips you may have about hooking that pull tractor up uh, with uh, with all your experience. I, I know you've worked in these situations a lot. Uh, what what are guys doing right? Uh, are there any things you see that they were commonly doing wrong that we need to change so we can all be uh, all be safe here the rest of this fall? Yeah, I think uh, one of the big things that we furnish with the uh, Steiger and Quad Track tractors, Darren, is a tow cable that hooks from the center drawbar out to the front of the tractor. And if you're pulling another tractor, we'd highly advise you use that tow cable. So it's designed to pull 66,000 pounds of tractor forward, and it pulls from the center drawbar so you don't bend the chassis or break something on the frame of the tractor. And if you hook in with another tractor that way, that would be the recommended way and to use proper equipment and wear uh, safety glasses and for sure to stay back when you're pulling because uh, uh, ropes, cables do bro- break once in a while. So you want to maintain your distance very well too and stay in the cab and away from the cable when you're pulling another tractor, Darren. Yeah, that's that's good tips, and and certainly we've all seen pictures, we've heard stories, maybe you've even been involved in uh, some things that went wrong out there. We, gosh, it's I love farming, I love all the jobs we got to get done. Some of them are pretty tough, but staying safe is is just the number one thing. And you know, you think about some of these areas that we're tiling, Mitch. They're they're pretty wet, so we get a lot of common questions about you know what what kind of traction do we need and and horsepower and so forth. Yeah, uh, that's a good question, Darren. I think uh, number one that we've seen happen this fall again with the wet fall that you know we're having is we've seen a lot of quad tracks go into action and customers leaps and rent quad tracks. To, uh, number one, to finish their fall tillage out here with some snow on the ground already. And then number two is the pull tile plows. Because with our quad track and our row track tractors, which we were just using some in Iowa this last week to lay tile, it works really well to lay down four tracks because you're getting the traction you need and also a flotation with it. And we've seen a quad back in where a wheel tractor has been stuck and it'll actually pull the, the tile plow or the tillage tool through where a wheel tractor will sit there and spin. So four tracks where you divide the weight from the rear to the front of the tractor, equal pull and all the tracks on the ground at the same time without having to worry about air pressure really goes a long way in wet conditions like we're having this fall, Darren. Mitch, every time we have you on, we get a lot of questions afterwards around the CVX drive and some of the innovations that Case IH has come with. Can you talk about uh, some of the things that could be really important for farmers to consider when they're going to be tiling? Absolutely, Darren. Uh, One of the things, too, with this wet fall that we're having is – we talk about getting tractors stuck and everything with the CVX drive, which we offer four range transmission. So it's in the mechanical range most of the time for efficiency, but you can actually start a load in the ground with it because it'll start at three feet per minute and it'll ramp on its own speed what it deems the power, but more importantly, the traction necessary without spinning the tires to pull that load forward. So by doing that, you set the speed. So if you want to tile at a half mile an hour, three-quarter mile an hour, maybe a mile an hour, 
you can set that speed, concentrate on laying and putting the tile down in the, gra in the ground, the grade you need, but that transmission is going to seek the sweet spot in the speed you sit it at. So you kind of say we sit and forget it and couple that with tracks and then with a CV drive, CVX drive, four-speed transmission, range transmission, you're getting the ultimate power to the ground without sip, slippage or spinning. And another nice thing we've seen by sitting our split throttle design, you'll save two to five gallon an hour on fuel. So you're not only getting the tile in the ground at the grade you want it in without slippage through these wet conditions, but you're also saving fuel doing it during. Yeah, the fuel efficiency is getting to be a bigger topic. Um, you know, just in general, what are what are you seeing that's that's making a difference for growers that are just trying to be more efficient with their equipment? I think uh, one of the things we're seeing is uh, with the CVX drive, they can set the RPM back to 1,700 RPM, Darren, and they can run uh, their full tillage ones, especially these high speed discs and our Akalo Tigers and run through the field and they'll say that see that savings at the speed they're trying to achieve because it's thinking in the transmissions doing the smart work and thinking where that sweet spot is in the tractor to save all the horsepower it can but minimize the fuel at the same time pulling the load at the speed you want to go and I think that's a big savings our customers are looking for today we've seen that continuously losing, using this type of tractor and when you talk about that fuel and then uh, kind of digressing back to what we're talking about, pulling a load with another tractor with the CVX drive, you can ease and gently pull that other tractor forward with that transmission because, again, you don't have to be on and off the clutch and trying to work the clutch to pull a load. And the same thing, you're never in the right gear speed all the time to maximize the the engine horsepower and the fuel you want it to maximize when you're trying to shift versus letting the tractor do it for you, dear. Hey, Mitch, uh, I get a, a tweet from Eddie in Minnesota, and he's listening to the show. He said, uh, we've got muddy soils right now, but temperatures are cooling down, so soon we'll have frozen soils. Uh, could you ask, Mitch, should I be adjusting my tire pressure on my tractor tires? I do not have tracks, as he's been describing. Absolutely. Uh, one of the things, if you go to Case IH weighting and ballasting, it'll give you the ballast, uh, whatever tractor. If you look at that ballast, you want to run a tire pressure probably around, depending on the load you're pulling, but a lower tire pressure will give you the benefit of less slippage through the field. If you're running too high, you're not engaging all the tread bars on the soil. What we like to see as a rule of thumb, Darren, is uh, three tread bars. If you're sitting on a highway, or you're sitting in your farm lot, you ought to at least see three tread bars mashed into the ground. That's kind of a rule of thumb indication that you've got the tire at the right inflation pressure. But running a tire at the minimum load pressure for that tractor and that weight will give you more traction and less slippage and also the flotation he's looking for. He also got a question from Dana in Iowa, and he said, could you also ask about tips with DEF going into this cold weather? Uh, sorry, DBF? Uh, uh, diesel exhaust fluid. Oh, yeah, diesel exhaust fluid. You shouldn't have uh, any issue with uh, cold weather. The big thing is storage. If it's stored for over like uh, 180 days or something, it lose some of its effect and everything. But usually with the DEF fluid, we haven't had a lot of big issues in our tank. 
If you are leaving a tractor sit all winter and not going to use it, we highly recommend that you drain all the deaf fluid out of it because that way the tank will be clean and everything and the sensors won't ice over anything during the winter time. If you're running the tractor constantly and you're using it, we have heaters in the deaf tank that keep the deaf heated around the fluid before it's injected into the exhaust system there. Excellent. Good tips today. I've been talking with Mitch Kaiser with Case IH. Mitch, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on, and happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. You too, Darren. Thanks very much for the call, and you have a great holiday season, sir. Thank you. You bet. Yeah, it's always fun talking with Mitch and getting some ideas of, of what to do with equipment out in the field. We're talking about tiling today, and specifically tiling rented ground. We'll give you some ideas and tips you may use coming up right after this. If your fertilizers aren't formulated to maximize your efficiency, if you can't mix all the PK and micros your crop needs into one prescription application, if you have to add products to improve and invigorate your soil biology, then you need to expect more from your fertilizer. With AgroLiquid's advanced technology, you can expect more, a lot more. Make the most of your crop nutrition. With AgroLiquid, to find a crop nutrition expert near you, visit agroliquid.com. If you're like most farmers, you start thinking about next year's herbicide program right now. And the first step to a clean start next spring is applying Authority MTZ DF herbicide this fall. Nothing burns down tough winter annuals, including common chickweed, henbit, and mare's tail, like a tank mix containing Authority MTZ DF herbicide. Talk to your FMC Star retailer about Authority MTZ DF herbicide or visit fmcauthority.com. Always read and follow label directions. Authority is not registered for sale or use in California. When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough to control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor herbicide brands. Always read and follow label directions. Using NSERV nitrogen stabilizer with fall fertilizer applications keeps nitrogen available into the spring for maximum crop growth. 
Field trials in Iowa show NSERV delivered an average revenue increase of $22.96 per acre, and NSERV is the only recognized nitrogen stabilizer product in the Iowa Nutrient Reduction Strategy because it reduces nitrate leaching. That's max profit in an environmentally sustainable way. Calculate your field's profit potential at nitrogenmaximizers.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio. Oh, I can smell the Thanksgiving turkey. Uh, I'm ready for that. I, I know uh, my wife is already starting the preparations on the Thanksgiving meal, which is fantastic. I'm hoping there are a few leftovers. It will be fun to enjoy. Hopefully you get the same. Uh, but in the meantime, we need to get some work done. And today we're talking about tiling ground, but not just tiling any ground, tiling rented ground, which does add a little bit of complication to it since you don't own it. Uh, but you know what? For the tile installer, they, they work with uh, whoever wants to get tile done. So we've got Kevin Lippert with us right now with Lippert Tile up in Wilmer, Minnesota. Kevin, how are you doing today? Good. Good. You ready for that Thanksgiving turkey too? Uh, I'm working on it. We're still picking a little corn yet. <laughs> uh, you know, it's yeah, it's been quite the year. And how about tiling? Have, have many guys gotten to do much tiling this fall, or in your area has it been just uh, all hands on deck for harvest? Um, my list is still pretty big. <laughs> yeah, as far as uh, tile getting uh, put tile in and stuff like that, list is still there. Of course, this storm puts a damper on on stuff, so. Um, there's, there's still a bunch of tile to stick in the ground. Yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. I know in our area, I'd say the same thing. There's a little bit that's gotten done. Certainly more guys would like to do if the weather would hold out here for us. But you know, one of the, one of the complicated things, Kevin has been working with landlords that, uh, they, that you're renting the ground from and, and you know it needs some tile. I was just talking with Rob Fritz here who was on the, the show a little earlier and he said one of his uh, farmers that he works with has got some ground that he told the landowner, as soon as you get that tiling done, I will consider renting your ground again. And I, I don't know, coming out of 2019, I can only imagine if the ground isn't tiled, it's not a whole lot of fun to farm. So how, how did those discussions go with landowners? Do you see more landowners contacting you and saying, hey, I need to put tile in my ground for my tenant? Or do you have the tenants contacting you saying, hey, I finally talked this landlord into doing some tiling? Well, it uh, happens both ways, I guess, as far as that goes, is I got landlords call me, and then I got, you know, guys that are renting the land saying they talk the landlord into it. Um, I basically tell landlords, it's, uh, your land is like a 401k. If you don't put money into it, you're not going to get nothing back. And the rent is just going to keep going down, or you got to put up with changing renters every year because no one wants to rent it because it's not profitable. And uh, you tell the landlords, you know, tiling can be put on a seven-year depreciation schedule. It's a direct write-off on their taxes. And a lot of them don't realize that, you know. Um, yes. They take their rental income in, and uh, they got to pay tax on it. Well, if they put some tile in the ground, they don't pay the tax. They keep that money and uh, increases the net worth of the land, stuff like that. And a lot of the landowners don't realize that. And, uh, you know, they're... Uh, absentee landowners or something like that and they don't know what to do with it and it's a tough conversation 
you know, uh, I know the rented land that we run, uh, we put that on a three or four year contract and then we tile it ourselves. We lock the land price in and say, this is what it's going to be to tile it. Um, don't cost you nothing. Rent stays the same or a little bit less, 10, 15 bucks an acre less, but it's not out of their, out of their pocket. I get the tax deduction. So there's a couple ways of doing that. So. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, t- you bring up the taxes and that's a great point, Kevin, because a lot of people just look at, well, what's the tiling going to cost? But they don't think about, hey, if this is a write-off on taxes, all of a sudden that saves you 25% or maybe more depending on what tax bracket you're in. Yeah. And then they also don't realize if you're going to spend six to $700 an acre t- tiling, that's only 10% of the land cost or the lifetime of the land. That's not very much of an investment. No, and coming out of a year, well, actually a couple of years in many of these areas like we've just had, it's it's pretty obvious that it's it's difficult when you don't have that tiling in. The other thing, Kevin, is is uh, I know we've talked with some landowners uh, just this fall that say, I've got my ground pattern tiled, but, but my tenant tells me my tile spacing is too wide. Are you running into that too, that in your area with some of the heavier ground, you're seeing guys split those lines down now? Yeah, if they're at 100 feet, but normally they just go in and the little lower areas, you can split it. Tough tough deal about that is if they don't have the GPS maps, it's tough to find the tile lines and they kind of pay for it a little bit again, you know. Yeah, you I have to go find the tile lines and trace them and hook onto them so they're straight where they're supposed to be. No, I, I agree. We uh, we were just talking about a field that I've got that got tiled a while back. And, uh, yeah, just finding what, what those old maps were like compared to now where things are, are GPS plotted out, it sure is nice. And really, you know, for when you look at it like you were talking earlier, this land is an investment for a lot of these landowners. And, and all of a sudden, hey, I have a GPS map here of exactly where all the tile lines are. That's got to help increase the value, too. Well, that's that's the gold piece of paper because <laughs> uh, you can actually prove it. You know, the ones we do, they're all color-coded. You know, it's all on an FSA map. They can see it on their farm, know exactly where it's at. So Yeah, yeah, that's pretty it's handy. Tough, it's, tough, it's, it's tough finding existing stuff, you know, existing uh cement lines that are in there. They say, well, there's tile in the ground. Well, they got a map. Oh, no. You know, you can kind of see where the cement mains and stuff are, but as far as that value is, that's only an outlet value. Is that's, And if there's other cement that's out there, it costs you twice as much to try to go find that old stuff that it is to just pull in there and then repattern tile it with plastic and become good. Some people think that's a waste, but you, by the time a guy goes out and digs and finds all those lines and that cost of that labor to find those lines, that doesn't happen for nothing. Well, they, uh, it's just cheaper to go follow the line in. <laughs> you know, and with the materials that you're using today, Kevin, I know uh, there's there's uh, a long life expectancy. W- what do you tell your clients and, and your landowners to expect as far as that goes? When they invest the money in tile, how, how long should that be working? Well, I know so the tile distributors, they put a 100-year lifespan on the t- on the plastic, you know. They, that's a lifetime investment for it. And I, you know, if the tile's put in correctly and right, there's no reason for that tile to ever 
degrade in the ground for under 200 years. Um, the new, new stuff they're coming out now that's, uh, is uh, better polymers and stuff in the plastics that they're making re-engineered and stuff like that. So it, uh, it lasts a long time. Yeah, I think, and again, it gets it back to that investment approach that you, you do this now, it's the last time you're going to have to do it, and it's going to work for uh, for many years to come and improve what happens for yield, not only on that farm, but you think about the, the tax revenue for those small towns that where many of these farms are at, and, and for the farm operations yeah. and everyone involved in that, it's a, it's a big economic deal. As far as the landowners go, um they just have to see it as, you know, improvement of the land, better than what they left it. Um, they just, uh, the value of that, then they never have to have the conversation with the landowner about rent and what rent should be, and they don't have to try to calculate, well, the postal this year versus last year, and this isn't doing good. That ain't, they don't have to have the rent argument. Um, that puts that all to bed once you batter dial it. Yeah, the, both of the landowner and the tenant can move forward at a peace of mind. You know, the other comment too, Kevin, we've gotten a lot this year has been, you know what, that rented ground I got in first because <laughs> they had it tiled. So, you know, your ground gets in, that lets you plant uh, full season maturities and oftentimes get some higher yields too. And hey, we've been talking with Kevin oh, yeah. Lippert with uh, Lippert Tile up in Wilmer, Minnesota. I know a lot of harvest still going on. Kevin, stay safe and have a happy Thanksgiving. Yep, you too, Darren. Thanks so much. Talking about tiling on the rented ground on today's show, we've gotten a number of questions in in the Ag PhD mailbag as well. we got a lot to go, so stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Every farmer knows there are lots of steps to having a perfect season. Don't let your fertilizer plan be the step that trips you up. For over 35 years, AgroLiquid has had the experts and the products that'll help you move closer to your target. No matter when you apply fertilizer, no matter how, you'll hit the bullseye. AgroLiquid can help you increase yields and crop quality. To learn more, go to agroliquid.com. AgroLiquid moves you closer to your target. When looking for someone to help with your risk management, a key component to look for is patience. Patience to bring you along in the process at your own speed. Patience to learn about your operation. And patience to not only discuss what strategies may be effective for your plan, but why they would be effective. That's the strength of Grain PhD. I'm Darren Hefty. When you're ready to become more engaged in your risk management, Grain PhD can assist you with that process. Visit grainphd.com to learn more. How do you know when to run your grain bin fans? 
there's an app for that. With the Steps GMS app, you can manually turn your fans on and off from your smartphone. You can also configure the Steps GMS app to automatically turn fans on when the humidity or temperature is ideal to keep your grain in top quality condition. Save yourself some time and take the guesswork out of managing your stored grain with the Steps GMS app. Contact us at stepsgms.com for more information. The Guardian Air Twin Spray Nozzle from Hypro produces a twin spray pattern with air-inducted droplets for superior coverage, even in dense canopies. Be effective and efficient with your spray application this season with the Guardian Air Twin. Hypro, helping you spray better. The last thing you want after harvesting your grain is to spoil it before it goes to market. The Grain Temp Guard from Farm Shop MFG is a low-cost bin monitoring solution that tracks temperature and humidity and alerts you when conditions exceed safe thresholds. Visit farmshopmfg.com. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio today, talking about tiling rented ground. And and we were just talking with Kevin Lippert with Lippert Tile in Minnesota. And uh, he said a lot of times what he ends up doing is getting a long-term deal with a landlord, four years or more. He pays for the tile. Uh, they keep the rent the same or maybe back the rent off 10 or 15 bucks. Uh, and let him farm it for four years, and then all of a sudden they own the tile. It's all done, and uh, and everything's great. That is one way to do it, and we've done that too. Uh, we've all we've often had landlords that say, you know what? I've got money in the bank. I'm not getting any return on that. What kind of return would you give me if I invested the money in tile? And what we've done in our farm is just say, you know, how about a 10% return on your money? You put in $500 with the tile. We increase our rate our our uh, rental rate by 50 bucks and all of a sudden, or I'm sorry, by 10%. So say it's on $200 ground. Maybe it's, oh yeah, yeah, yeah I'm sorry. $500 investment in tile, 50 bucks. Yes, that's right. I got myself confused there with numbers. So that might be something that you do offer the landlord a, a rate of return. Maybe it's 10%. Maybe it's a little more, a little less, depending on where you're at. The other thing that we've done is sometimes we've done the work, the landlord's paid for the materials and that kind of thing. And we've kind of shared the cost that way. Uh, you can certainly do that, but I'd say the first two are more common. Either you pay it all or they pay it all. Then it's pretty simple to know to know where you're at and, and what you're doing. Uh, if you get questions on that, uh, if you get any specific situations you want to chat about, our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. And also you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Uh, let's dive into some of those radio mailbag questions right now. All right, uh, got, got some samples from Rich, a uh, small number of soil samples, Rob, just 55 of them to look look through. He took one-acre grids on a 55-acre field. Uh, he's looking at the CEC around 2.2, organic matter around 1. He said, you will notice this is beautiful Florida sand. Uh, pH 
mainly in the 5.6 to 5.9 range. I, I want to start working on that, uh, considering using some dolomite lime to try to uh, increase that. I'm going to plant a rye cover crop uh, and start addressing the K, the magnesium, the micros before I plant in April. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on gypsum. wondering what your thoughts are on uh, the pH and the best way to raise that. And then also you probably noticed uh, my phosphorus, whenever my levels are better than 80 parts per million, I've got more yield. Uh, but other things are a lot less uniform around the field. Just wondering uh, what you think, if I should variable rate spread across this, or if most of the things I could just handle putting the same rate out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... I'm going to tell you, this is pretty awesome. Um, it's pretty rare I get to look at something so uniformly sandy. I mean, we don't usually see CECs that are 1.5, 1.6, So 2. sandy 0. soil like that, you pretty much have to plan on putting everything you're going to need out every year. Right? Pretty much anything that can move is going to move out on you. Um, actually, uh, I, have a, I have a laundry list of things that, should be done to this soil and they're actually pretty straightforward the nice thing is these soils are very very easy to diagnose because there's not a lot of things um hiding from you you know you don't have you don't have excess lime you don't have all these things that tie up nutrients and what i would start with was kmag um that's going to be number one because dolomitic lime in my mind is probably not the right answer here you've got plenty of calcium in this soil for the most part, and you have no magnesium. So KMAG and the pot potassium would be the best matchup fit for what I would try to do. Um, manganese is a big problem. If you're having health issues, uh, I, I'm very, very convinced right now that you have a severe manganese issue in this field because at those low pHs, the manganese should be highly, highly registering on this test, and they are not copper. You know, so you have manganese and copper, so you're going to have severe health issues. You're low on both. Uh, boron, uh, that's non-existent. That's one you're going to have to put on every year. But I would expect manganese and zinc to stick around once you build them up. Um, you need He needs to push that zinc up quite a bit for the phosphorus that he's carrying. And those two will lock together. They don't really move in water. So once he builds that, it'll stay so, I mean, overall, I'm less worried about the pH than I am the rest of the problems because I'm not bothered by a 6.0 pH. It bothers me not at all. Um, in fact, if I had a choice, that's where I'd want to be 6.0 to 6.3. Um, I don't really want to mess with calcium. I don't want to put any more calcium out. I just want to push mag up. Um, that would be my take, my take home. Obviously, you know, any of the leachables we need to address on a yearly basis, but... Those, those ones that aren't going to leach, uh, those are the ones that can, you know, very quickly be, be worked on. And, yeah, it's kind of the same everywhere, so that makes it nice. I mean, I don't see a lot of difference from one end to the other. So variable rate, not necessarily super important there. I don't, I don't think so, no. And there's, there's a lot of room to, to move. Um, I've uh, honestly – I've been looking at soils here now for, well – 20 years 15 of it really hardcore and i've never seen this low cc's on a test so that's that's pretty yeah, that's pretty beautiful light. florida sand that's right well he's right about that it <laughs> sounds to me like it's a beach well i like a lot of things about that though and and i know for um, for listeners that may be in heavy soils thinking 
well, wow, I'd much rather have my heavy soil and that light soil. The good thing about that light soil is you can push stuff right into the plant really quickly right. and easily. And if you see something that's out of line, well, you can make an application, get it right into the plant. Well, so that's kind of nice too. What's amazing is the phosphorus that can be contained in a soil with a CEC of three carrying a 101 phosphorus, P1. I mean, that the, the concept that people have is that there would be nothing because your potash is like like 60 parts per million. Um, you got some potashes down to 15 parts per million. So that's a, that's a leachable component, obviously. But in that same test, you have an 80 FOS. So that FOS is, is very, very high, and it sticks around very well. So that's where the zinc ratio gets completely out of whack because, I mean, he has 0.6 zinc with an 80 FOS. You're automatically going to have – uh, usability issues with biological life and and your whatever what is it is it a grove or a tree farm or something peanuts nope it's, oh, a, peanuts. it's a row crop field okay so yeah in that situation you want to get that zinc up to somewhere in the eight 10... parts per million yeah eight yeah. to ten and so, that's actually easily done and it does stick around and it's not expensive uh, surprisingly zinc sulfate is very inexpensive so i mean comparatively you don't have to do it all in one year you can do it over a five years you know five-year time yeah, and frame. i think what we see a lot of times on that light soil rob is guys putting out multiple ways multiple timings uh, mm-hmm. put some out with the planter put some out with the side dress put right. some out in a foliar that kind of thing you right. could do that too but it's way cheaper to to put a dry out there and it well, if you're getting phosphorus to stick around that well, well the zinc's gonna stick too yeah zinc, and, zinc might have a shot too and i guess i'm not super familiar with these soils but i would assume that the iron, the manganese, and the copper would be really – I think they would stick around too, but I don't really – I've never had this kind of sand experience. I, is it possible the manganese is more leachable than I thought in this light of sand, and that might be why it's non-existent? So he may have to piecemeal that manganese out. Um, but I do know that your plant health scenario issues, issues based on our experiences – are going to be really difficult to hold that high plant health with no manganese. 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 That's what I was getting at. All right, Rich, thank you very much for the samples. If you have any follow-up questions, please let us know. All right, Rob, we only got about a minute, but I got a question from Jared. He said, first of all, I got a question for you, then I'll I'll tell you my situation. Organic matter is always referenced as quantity in terms of percent. My question is, does quality or type of organic matter vary among soil types? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. And then he said, if so, how can we identify this prior to selecting biologicals? And my reason for asking, he said, there's there's four of us that have used a mycorrhizal product, but also uh, there's there's folks that have used other biologicals. And my results were 19 bushels gained on a $4 investment. Other growers have shown nothing or actually shown a loss. Uh, why do we see such variance in the performance of biologicals? Is it organic matter or is it something else? That is not answerable in the last 30 seconds. It's very complex. I'll tell you this, though, because uh, we have to finish the show. The answer is yes, it's a lot of complexity. And what you have for basic species depends on what you had for cropping coming into it, what species are around. So you can have completely different results. Yep, it's going to be a little tricky, and it's it's a longer question, Jared. And I know even just getting those products applied, the mycorrhizal fungi are really fussy. 
And so water quality and a lot of other things come into play too. We'll, uh, we'll address that question more hopefully on tomorrow's show as well. Thanks for listening to today's show and join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.